<laughs> Hello and welcome. My name's Andrew and I'm here with my co-host Ville. Huh? <laughs> Hello, yes. So the idea is this is going to be just a quick introduction to our podcast about sports science. Um, now I'm going to ask Ville to talk about, talk about yourself and yourself as an athlete. Now sports science, it takes part of your sporting life. I mean, I don't know about sports science taking part, but uh, of course, it's uh, the science part is always there. Being a Paralympian uh, swimmer and uh, having played uh, wheelchair basketball for Team Finland uh, for several years now, uh, just recently stopped that entirely to focus 110% of my time to swimming while I have a break from university. Uh, I'm a university student studying mathematics and my hope is to one day become a full-fledged mathematician and then when I get old enough as Andy here, I will become a oh. teacher. Oh, that, 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 was, that was mean! <laughs> I will become a teacher and then inspire younger generations of kids to enjoy math because I think that uh, Math enthusiasm comes from a really good teacher and just being able to be, uh, to being able to be, to see, sorry my English bad, to see like how math is like beautiful and useful and can be used in very different aspects of, of any day, everyday life in general. Um, as for myself, also, uh, I am, you can tell by the voice, obviously, I am disabled. Uh, I have a condition called osteoglyposis multiplex congenital, AMC for short. Less than 2% of the world have it, and only 0.0092% in all of Finland. Um, I, know, I know one guy who has it, and he claims to know Three, two more guys who have it. So I think between the the four the four of us or the three of us, we would most likely cover the 0.0092 percent of the population. Yeah, because the Finnish population isn't very big yeah, anyway. It's, yeah, it's like what is it, five point seven million now? I think yeah. according to the, the recent statistics. So, um, yeah. So swimming uh, as a swimmer, I'm classified as of right now. S4 and in swimming, in disabled swimming, or as they say in modern day language, they have gone away from disabled <laughs> and they say power swimming, so it also works in Finnish as well. We say para winti, um, which is kind of strange because when I joined swimming in Finland a year or two ago and started to really grind it uh, on the Oimali.shibu, the swimming federation website, it had every type of swimming and it had Vamos Winti. And Vamos Winti translates to Vamos is disability or, yeah, and then uh, Winti is swimming. So disabled swimming, in, you know. And now if you go to the same page and you look my name up um, in, the, in the list, you will have para, para swimming. Which is like really strange to see that to see that like change so quickly in, in like the Finnish culture, the vernacular evolved 
practically overnight. I think it was like a decree by Salinas or something like that. We can't say this. <laughs> it's worth anymore. So if you go, if you call anyone and you say like you're in a wheelchair, you can't say like I'm disabled. You have to say, you know, I'm, I'm the type of wheelchair or something like this. And, yeah, I've, it's one of those things that I know in talking about to people with disabilities or athletes that have disabilities, para-athletes, yeah. that trying to get the language right in my head, I try to do it as much as I can, but I know sometimes I've just used disabled swimming and it's not great language because yeah. remember it was uh, one of the coaching courses I, I did where they talked about that we talk about an athlete with a disability because the athlete comes first in the sentence, giving it priority. Yeah. And that kind of works for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's how I ended up understanding Well, I mean, Paralympic, if you think about Paralympians, Paralympics, mm. you know, it makes sense to have the word para, you know, para-athlete or para, you know, swimmer or para um, discus or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so that, from that from that point of view, it does make sense to have that. Um, but it's just unfinished to have that adoption of para para wingy mm. para wingy, and then you also have like you have to you have to describe yourself as a kisa wingy. So yeah, competitive competitive swimmer. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. I mean, you. But I mean, if you think about, to be quite honest, if you think about what disabled swimmer means, like, you get this like mental image, like he's he like drops himself in the water or just thrown, I don't know, <laughs> just thrown and then just like splashes about, you know, in the water. Like help me, I can't swim, I'm disabled. Well, I think the I think one of the funny things is that I certainly know in the UK the Paralympics is quite popular to watch on TV. Yeah. I'm not sure, but most of them people don't understand the classifications. I and mean, I've, yeah. I've been around the classifications a bit. I'm still not really that sure how to, because it's quite complex, the classification system. Yeah, to, for those who don't know, there's the physically impaired, which is my category, uh, S4. It goes from S1 being like, Sorry, I should start saying like always. Uh, being S one being severely impaired, so you have no, or a swimmer or competitor has no function of any of their limbs, just basically them bobbing in the water, and then it graduates to the maximum of S ten, which is like Andy here, but he has like a crooked toe or something. <laughs> yeah, I've got a slightly dodgy knee, so yeah. maybe could I could I qualify just on. Being old and having a slightly painful knee. Probably. I mean, you still will get probably beaten, but uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. you, you can try. Well, this is the thing. Uh, I worked with uh, Susie Rogers many years back before before the London Olympics. Right. And so she has one arm and one leg. And I remember timing her over 1,500 metre sprints for freestyle and butterfly. Yeah. And now she's a lot smaller than me. And she has one arm and one leg. And so pushed us from in the pool. Mm. She was faster than me. I think if we were both allowed to dive, then I would have a bit more of an advantage because I have two legs. Yeah, yeah. Um, that would that would help a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, and yeah, she trained like you twice a day and doing a full time job, and yeah, yeah. I think people don't realise that uh, para athletes train just as hard. Yeah. As able bodied athletes. Yeah. 
but then you have all of the other challenges that you have. Even just transport makes it a lot harder for you. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of times, uh, especially here in Finland, where we have snow in the winters. Getting sometimes getting to the swimming pool in the snow in the wheelchair seems to be more of a workout than the workout in the swimming pool. Yeah, I mean, so, this this yeah this past winter there was a lot of wet yeah, snow. Yeah, yeah, so that was not fun. And then you always have. No matter how hard you train, especially as an athlete in Finland, you always have that thought in the back of your mind that I still have to save some of the energy to get back home, to get back in the, to push in the yeah. snow or get yourself out of the water or things like that. So. Yeah. Shall I try and introduce myself to you? Sure, go yeah. on. So, I'm Andrew and I've been, I've been coaching for over 20 years now. I've been coaching since the 90, well, 1999, that's when I started swimming coaching. I'm um, currently studying for my master's up in Yavascular. So my speciality is biomechanics. And so if anybody doesn't understand, biomechanics is measuring the forces involved in human movement. And then along with that, also measuring the nervous system. Somehow biomechanics has managed to steal the nervous system from the physiologists. So anything to do with nerves, reaction times, and also a lot of the stuff to do with the brain. So I've had some quite fun like either helping out with other people's studies or just being a subject where we do something called transcranial uh, oh, sorry, sorry. transcranial magnetic stimulation tms where you, it's basically a massively powerful magnet and then that could magnetism electricity both the same force massive massively powerful magnet on your motor cortex and then we can make different body parts of your body just twitch which was quite good fun. Um, the last one I did, I was inside like a big fishing tank, essentially, that was warmed up to about 31, 32 degrees, which was pleasant. And you had to put something called EMG, to, uh, to it measures the electrical output from your muscle. So if you stimulate your head, and then you see how hard your muscle is actually contracting, and I just had to sit inside a fishing tank, pushing on like a, a little lever, that measured how much force I was putting out as well. So you just touched your calf in in the, in the real world. Did, did you have the EKG on your calf, or where was it located? Uh, EMG, okay, Electro EMG. electromyography. Okay. So one was on the gastrocnemius, which is the big muscle that everyone knows as their calf, and the other one was on the front, and I've forgotten the name of that muscle now, uh, tibialis. Oh, I should really remember this sort of stuff. Oh, yeah. So, but I've also done a couple of others where they were done on trying to measure the internal pressure that you get from your diaphragm and your intercostal muscles. And those ones you had to do maximal test on the bike. And then they put the TMS onto the phrenic nerve on your back. And if anybody wants to know what having your phrenic nerve stimulated is like, so you know when you've had way too much to drink and you vomit, but then there's nothing coming up, and you just go, <gasps> basically a really powerful one of those. And so they had to put these two tubes up my nose. One would sit sort of right around where your solar plexus is, and the other one went a bit further down, and it inflates a little balloon, just a little one. And so every time the muscles contract, it measures the pressure. And that was, yeah, that one, that one was kind of awful, actually. But I, 
I really enjoyed taking part in different studies like that. So I was trying to make time for it. But what I'm finding now, that I'm studying again now that I'm in my 40s. Nobody wants participants in their 40s unless they're doing studies on older people. And apparently I'm not quite old enough for the old people's studies. So, yeah, so they always go, oh, we want somebody from 18 to 38 or 18 to 40. And you're like, for fudge. And like, I'm going, I'm, I'm still pretty fit, you know, for a normal person. But, yeah. Yeah, that's that's always kind of rough. Yeah, it's always a bit embarrassing when you go, oh, I'd like to take part in your study. Oh, you're too old. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what studies yourself would you be interested in conducting? Uh, well, my current study is on... So... The length of crank on your bike, uh, to the crank length on your bike when you're in the aerodynamic bicycling position, which is kind of how you have to phrase it. So when you're in the aero position, either on a time trial or triathlon bike, basically because your body is essentially horizontal, the angle between your upper leg and your torso becomes quite compressed, so it becomes harder to push down on the on the pedals. If you have regular length cranks, like 172, 175, where my hope is to try and find a way to scale the length of your leg to the length of your crank, which would be, at best, it's probably going to be a rule of thumb measure at about 20% of your inside leg length. That, so it's actually useful for when people are fitting their bikes because I actually have quite short legs and I use very short cranks. And I'm fortunate enough that you've got the power meter and you don't notice any difference in the power. It's mainly in comfort. But I should use the EMG and then the force measuring pedals to be able to tell how much force and then also when your muscles start to push down on the pedals. And then I then have to analyse that in MATLAB and find out. And this is where you come in really handy because you can help me with the mathematics and the statistics because I'm rubbish at that sort of stuff. Well, definitely stay away from statistics, but <laughs> definitely mathematics I can do. So... Uh... Yeah, um, now is this something that you could, or any consumer could apply? Well, that's the idea. The idea is that if you test in sports science, a relatively large population would be over 10. So if I can get 15 people of different heights, mm. so I need some short people and some tall people. I've got two or three tall people, one or two short people, and then other people in between, because I my, my instinct is that it's going to be a bigger effect on the smaller people compared to like the people that are two metres tall, the length of your crank is not going to be that big a deal. Um, so, but the idea is that you see a lot of people that they sit too high up on the front of their bike, so it's less aerodynamic. So if you can get them a little bit lower by opening up that hip angle, there's other things you can do to open up the hip angle, like moving the seat, essentially moving the seat further forwards, opens up the hip angle, and that's been shown to be quite effective. So it's a very small question, but if I can answer it well, then it'll be useful to a proportion of people that do time trials and triathlons on the bikes. And, so and that's what I've done for a long time, doing triathlon and time trial. So I started triathlon about 2004. I haven't done one for a couple of years because of my, my dodgy knee, so I can't run. So I really wanted to do more time trials this year. 
and started off okay. But then I don't know if it's just me getting old or bored or I could not get motivated to do the, the hard training. I'm going to just train or exercise every day. But like you're saying, like coming in and doing like an hour or two sprints in the pool, I don't have that motivation at the moment to really push hard. Yeah, definitely. I think, especially in swimming, you have to have a goal where you're targeting something. Uh, and definitely. In the beginning, it's like, I have to start saying that. It's easier, <laughs> it's easier to have, to start from nothing and see results quite quickly. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you will see results, but you will also get tired of yourself quicker. Mm. It's, it's almost instant. The, you, you swim, you try to swim all out with horrible technique, 50 meters, and then you're huffing and puffing, and you, you're, thinking to my, you're thinking to yourself, why am I here? And then over time, the more meters you have behind you, and the more doors that open up uh, for competitions and and things, then you develop a, a superior feeling and knowledge for the water, and then you slowly start having more and more appreciation, and then appreciation for technique, and you watch thousands of hours and YouTube videos on swimming theory, and then you <laughs> go to the pool and go, you know, I have to do this, and then as a, as a Paralympian, para swimmer, one of the things that I realize is that my body, because my right side is completely weaker than my left side, and just the structure of it, like the composition and the makeup of it is much different than the left side. I have no possible chance to swim according to known theory in swimming. So, you know, high elbow catch, yeah. the pool, the... The, the pool in the water, the way that you pull yourself, and then, you know, rotating, for sprinting, rotating the elbow, sorry, the, the shoulder simultaneously yeah. in, like, a windmill motion, that's almost not possible. I could probably do, like, a, actually, a disabled-looking windmill. Like, if someone's, <laughs> like... Well, the thing is, you've, you've told me about this, and so the movement that you get with your shoulder, that... Yeah. You've been working on that quite a lot. Yeah, I've been doing stretches now, and uh, I've been hitting the gym a lot more. Uh, we have a great coach for the power swimming team in Tartu, uh, Yarko is his first name. I don't know his last name, but I just know he's a physics uh, person in university, and now he's a... I think he's a, I think he's a private physiotherapist or something. Ah, okay. Yeah. He works out of the answer, like, he will come to move to Tampere uh, next year, I think. So um, he told us to he he gave us stretches to do and and uh, this Saturday we'll go to the gym together at the Ulayarve Uimahalli and after swimming we will go to the gym and hopefully then get programs. Uh, right now I've. But I've had bad experience at the gym. My first time uh, I went, uh, I, of course, went really hard at it because, you know, <laughs> why not? And I was told to do a gelug, which means, like... Light. Light, light exercise, but 
I'm one of those people that can't do anything like, or when the coach says swim or cool down, I just go, okay, I'm just going to swim. So know? that's just 95% instead of 100 It's a good suggestion, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I always, unfortunately, I've always been more hard uh, on myself and just everything I do, I want to give it all. And so when someone says, like, cool down, swim, you have to, like, basically swim, lap, lap, lap. And I'm just like, well, okay, I'll take that into consideration and just take off anyway. And then wonder why I'm having trouble getting out of the pool afterwards. <laughs> um, but uh, I can honestly say after 40 years of swimming, I've never had any trouble. I've never worked hard enough to be that tired that I can't get out of the pool properly. Now, now I have the opposite problem. I, I went to the gym a couple of days ago and I was expecting to be sore four days and being miserable so I, I went to the gym did the same thing still pushed myself quite hard and then the following day it was like a bit soreness and I was disappointed I was like where is the misery you know I, I wanted to be miserable <laughs> and I wanted to have the the misery on top of my normal schedule that I meticulously planned out for the week so it has um, to feel heavy yeah yeah I wanted to suffer but still do the the the, the two twice swimming you know still do everything almost normally of course uh, while avoiding like severe injury hmm. and it just didn't happen and now I have an opposite problem where I go home and I, I from, from swimming or whatever and I eat and I try to go to sleep and I really can't sleep for the past couple of days quite well. I, I still get out of bed the normal time, and I still kill it in the pool. And now I'm wondering, like, who am I? Like, where is this energy coming from? When am I going to class and and sleep on, like, Andy's kitchen floor right here? <laughs> have his dog wake me up. His dog, which you hear outside. Somehow. Oh yeah, hopefully, hopefully the mic isn't. Hopefully the mic's too cheap to actually pick up that that sound from outside. That's picking up. I can see the waves. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so assuming, um, yeah, yeah. Have you? I've actually thought about. Is there anybody that you would like, like a hail mary thing? Is there any particular? sort of sporting people that you would like to get in contact with that we could speak to on here? I know I have a couple of names. I mean, I know a couple of people who I could ask, and they would probably do it because I'm a nice guy, uh, but I haven't really I haven't really thought about anyone particularly that I wanted to interview myself. Uh, anyone that I wanted to interview or have any questions, I always have contact with. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. So. If I think, I mean, I've, I've got a few people that I could ask, especially when it comes to like sports psychology. Yeah, I'm pretty weak on sports psychology. I, I went down the very measurable route, and biomechanics. We do a lot of physiology in there as well. Sociology, kind of interested in psychology, and I, I know how important it is for sports people and people in general. I never got that interested in it, so I do have somebody in mind that I'm sure she'll she'll come on. Yeah, um, and uh, we always if we there's a person that we would like to get in contact contact with, then we can just ask them to join the podcast. Yeah, so and see yeah. how that goes. If I think my 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 top top one, the person that I really like to sit down for a one on one with, a guy called Graham O'Bree. 
British or Scottish cyclist from the 90s. And he he was the reason I got into doing time trials on bikes. Yeah. And because back in the 90s, he wrote, used to ride this really funny position called the egg position. Yeah, yeah. Where, like a downhill skier with his arms tucked to his chest. And it looks really weird. Yeah. But then he went out and broke the world hour record twice yeah. using that position. And then people were like, all right, so we've got to do something about this this bloke from Scotland who, and he was getting, uh, he was unemployed, getting financial support, but he had the engineer's brain that obviously he's a good athlete, but then he's also a great engineer as well, and he could just see that this was better than what you normally see in the, the tri bars on a, yeah. on a regular bike. Yeah. So then they banned it yeah. because can't have that because yeah. he was beating professionals. You can't be successful. And then he came back. Oh, too successful. Yeah, can't be too successful. <laughs> yeah. And you see, like, there's a lot of the a lot of the things that he thought about with his bike. You still, like, engineering solutions for bikes that he still are relevant now. Like, you know how I talked about moving the, the seat forwards. So he had what's called like, a steep position with the seat much further forwards than anybody else in the world at the time. And then it took another know, 15, 20 years before people figured out that, oh, it turns out that that opens up your hip angle and allows you to produce more power when you're in that position. But he just saw it. And then he also, because he welded his own bike together. Mm. So he had like bits of metal that he took from his washing machine bearings in the, the, the bottom bracket, the Kesk gear. Yeah. So because well, they can spin at 2,000 RPM, they must be good quality bearings. Yeah. So... Either way, he was either a great athlete or a great engineer. And he's just like a really interesting, obviously a little bit eccentric bloke. Yeah. So he would be up there. There's another one, Mike Burroughs from Cycling, who just died recently. So around at the same sort of time, like really introduced a lot of carbon fibre into cycling and the real aerodynamics of the bike. Mm. And you know, it's a shame that he, he just died a few weeks ago and he would have been a really interesting bloke. So yeah. been in contact with him over email and stuff over different things. And he's like really open to just talking to anybody about bikes. Oh, sorry, was. Right, right. Um, uh, bikes in this, themselves are quite fascinating in how they're built and designed. Uh, last night, actually, just coming from the pool, uh, I was the last customer there, I guess, and there was a kid with his bike upside down in the middle of the parking lot. And, because uh, uh, I was leaving, I didn't want to miss the tram, but because I saw no, really no other cars there in the parking lot, I knew that an upside-down bike is similar to an upside-down wheelchair, so you have to go see what's going on. International distress signal, yeah, signal exactly. of the so, cyclist and wheelchair user. Yeah, exactly. So I, I begrudgingly looked at my clock, you know, I was like, well, I'm going to be late. And then I went to this kid who was... You know, I had a bright orange, uh, sorry, a bright green helmet, and at that moment I knew, okay, I need to get myself a helmet, and I'll go, <laughs> I'll go into the reason just one second in in uh, in one minute, but uh, but he had a problem with his um with his chain only being able to go backwards and not forwards. So after uh, I didn't really, unfortunately, have my tools with me, but. I knew, uh, in my mind, I was, I, like, I instantly had this thought, like, 
uh, fuck, I know a guy in, in that order, and I, and I immediately called Andy here, and I tried to call him more, like, often times than, than I should have, because in Finland, the distress signal is, like, if you call twice in a row, the third, you know, the yeah. first time... Is, and like, you get the police as well, yeah. No, the, the first time in Finland, you can always ignore it, because if you don't want to talk to someone, but if someone calls you the second time, it means, like, they are probably burning, the firemen are on their way, but they want to say goodbye. <laughs> you know, that's always what I've been well, what I've been taught. So well, this is the reason why I didn't pick up wasn't because I didn't want to speak to you. Yeah, is that I have a new phone. Ah, oh, okay, okay. Could, do, you, do you remember seeing the old one? I did not. No, I'm it sorry. was literally bits of glass were falling off it yeah, as I was yeah. trying to use it. Yeah. So. And I bought the new phone over a week ago. Yeah. But, you know, you've got, like, apps, and you've got to then re-sign into Google. Yeah, And, and oh, I, I can't be bothered with it. And I was happy with the old one. Yeah. But it was cutting my fingers. So I finally got the new one, and I just set it up. And I've lost all of my WhatsApp contacts. I mean... So there was, like, no noise from the phone. And I, was I, like, I could probably go back ethically, but... Uh, unethically, but I don't know if WhatsApp would be happy with me. But... <laughs> um, yeah, so back to the story, so we we kind of moved the wheel around and I, I called Andy and on the third time he managed to pick up and I, I told him like, hey, we have a kid here and unfortunately my language abilities, especially when I'm tired, is very questionable at best. So I just finished speaking Finnish to the kid and then with, Ingl- with Andy, my mind has already taught itself to, to speak English. And so I had to, uh, I had to like take the English, the Finnish uh, situation in my mind and convert it into English. And then uh, at one point I just gave up and just used the major vocabulary in Finnish. And Andy was like, oh, talk up there. I don't know what that is. <laughs> and then just. Risapura. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and I knew from prior engagements with Andy that he w- worked in a bike shop, so he would have seen this particular situation, if not similar ones, in the past. So I called and I wanted to, before the conversation ended with Andy, the kid and I somehow bumped the wheel in such a weird way that it started spinning again by itself in both directions. And then by the time we flipped over the bike and went our separate ways, uh, you missed your tram by that point, hadn't you? Yeah, but also the I wanted to, from Andy, get the reasoning what was the problem so the kid could go home and get and solve it because he was also a swimmer and I didn't want him to get stuck in the future. So Andy gave me two solutions or two common problems. The first one I immediately ruled out just by gut instinct looking at the wheels and the bicycle. And then the second one seemed like the most probable one. So I quickly told goodbye to Andy, probably in the most finished way, just like, okay, but poop. Okay, bye. Uh, and then quickly relayed the information to the kid that is back uh, lock at it. His, uh, like, the bearings. bearings needed to be tightened and stuff. And then to double check Andy, because um, I was afraid of giving false fake information, mm. I also on the tram similar found I, I found a similar problem on the on the YouTube and I was like, ah, that's similar problem, uh, and he had the same solution. Yeah. But 
And the reason why I want to invest in a helmet, and Andy knows some of this story already from my prior engagement, my front casters uh, in Finnish Edo... Yeah, the little Edo, wheels on the front of your head. Yeah, got. Um, the front casters of the wheelchair, especially the right one, uh, the bearing is broken on the very top. Uh, the one that connects the whole fork, it's completely broken. So tomorrow morning I have to fix it. I have to go to the original place that oh, I was yeah, made. Like a specialist. Uh, to where that chair came from, the, the designers and the original location. And they will, I will command them or ask very nicely and finish to have them, have them, um, tighten the, both of them, but take extra care of the right one so that they will not wobble at um, high speeds. At high speeds. And the reason for the high speeds is because I'm a busy man with a busy schedule and I have found this new, very unethical and very disturbing trend in my life of I found out both mathematically and also physically, by trial and error, that human sidewalks in Finland are rubbish compared <laughs> to the roads for the cars. And I have found the, this, um, I don't know how to say, this taste, this taste of speed on the, on the roads where cars travel, coming home from the swimming pool, there is a slightly oh yeah I know like a hill like an incline to the tram and in a wheelchair there is an unwritten rule I hope also for bicyclists but then they can correct me if there is a hill and you know you have to go up it or down it in the future you put in the effort to go up it with the reward being that you can go... You can whiz back down. You can whiz back down. Oh, yes. And of course, I think that must be a universal thing. I'm sure that <laughs> some, no matter how crowded the city is, they will always be a speeding bicyclist down, down this... Down. Oh, yeah. And you're, I, I mean, I try not to go too fast because... I mean, Finland, you have, like, separated to a big, wide footpaths yeah, for yeah. bicycles and for walking on. Yeah, yeah. It's quite different. And those roads are quite cool. They're pretty I mean, good. I always go to the bicycle side there as well. But that, that footpath from Calaver Swimming Pool yeah. is awful. It's, it's very bad. And so I've, I've, I've gotten to this horrible habit, probably very dangerous too, of going with the cars because I've realised, even with my wobbly wheels, um, I can maintain the car speed, if not go a little bit faster. And so I decided that, knowing the Finnish culture, eventually my proclivity for speeds and these such activities will not go unnoticed, nor <laughs> unpunished. Well, you so, have been pulled over by the police before for speeding. I, I have, uh, but down Lukomaki. Yeah. But I was thinking, that really, uh, there was a funny story. I went down Lukomaki, this giant hill. I mean, for, just, just for a little bit of context, look on Maki. It's not just a big hill. Is it here? It's where, it's <laughs> in Tampere, that's where we have like the small ski slope. Yeah. On that same hill. Right. Yeah. So it, it's mean, it's kind of scary going down there on the bike. Yeah. It's very exciting, but I have like two brakes and a helmet. Yeah. So uh, so I didn't I didn't want to use the the pedestrian back then, and uh, at the time when I went down that massive 
hill, which is probably well over a kilometer in, in distance yes. from, from, start, from start to finish, I decided to do a wheelie down the hill because uh, when you're going on four wheels, any small bump or anything yeah. or a rock or, or debris can cut you off guard and you can find yourself more disabled looking than you are. <laughs> In, Sorry, in, in, uh, that's not funny. Then <laughs> you are in reality. So, like someone, you know, in the winter especially, it's it's really funny because I will fall sometimes in the snow. I fell like four times last year, and the years before that, I, I also seldomly fall. I seldom fell, sorry, past tense English. But one time I did fall crossing very late at night and there was this old gentleman that came by and I fell in a convenient location. It wasn't in front of a car. It wasn't anywhere inconvenient. It was just on the road between the two uh, car, 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 the car roads. So yeah. people were pedestrians to wait for the light to change. And this old fellow walked by and he asked me if I was, you know, something okay and, and do you need help? And, and, and I, I probably wanted to say, no, I'm just enjoying the scenery from here. But <laughs> I knew if I hadn't that said that, I would be there much longer in the, in the cold winter. So I said, yes, you can help me. Yeah, you can't be too sarcastic yeah, in that situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, no, I mean, you can. In Finland, you definitely can. But obviously, I didn't want to take the risk of staying there longer. Um, so Luke and Mackie, I decided to go down with a wheelie and hoped that my hands didn't burn before the before the the end of the ride. But also with wheeling I have really good control of the mix of it doesn't go. Yeah. Control of my balance that I can I can I can slow down the chair and speed up the chair at at moments notice. It, it doesn't take me that long. I've I've been I've many I've had many downhill fun experiences in my life to know my my boundaries and limits. So on this particular evening going to my friend's house, I was in the middle of the road on the double right line the double yellow lines because I thought if a car was coming to my behind me I would hear it and I can go to the opposite road. And if a car was coming to the front of me I would go to the opposite side and no problem. So during my joyride down toward the end of the joyride, I I thought I heard a car behind me, but I wasn't obviously going to turn around at full speed and check. And then I did hear a car behind me, and it was in fact a police car. And the gentleman and his and his partner pulled me over, and I was like, hello, and, you know, and uh, they they said, you know, we, we saw what you were doing, and I was like, oh, okay, we must not have any everyday experience for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they laughed, and I laughed as well. Uh, the woman did give me a warning, and she said that in the future, I, sh- I best wear a helmet to do these type of things. And now recently, uh, going back to present day, I decided that if I'm going to go and be in a rush in the fall before the snow comes and enjoy my travels and uh, to the maximum, meaning, you know, go yeah. with the cars and as safely as I can. Obviously, I'm going to use bicycle signals in my hands yeah. and have a 
have the okay. AR the, yeah, the uh, reflect reflectors and like the high vis stuff. I'm not gonna have that stuff, obviously not. But I know, I'm, 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 I'm too vain to wear that. Uh, yeah, but I will have those light up things. Those on time with. Yeah, I'll them. cover myself in light. <laughs> but the the high vis jacket makes me look like too much of a noob. Yeah, and I, I don't like that feeling. Even though it probably is safer, and I know drivers think that it's much safer because it's easier to see. Yeah, I've got some really powerful lights. So what I was going to do tomorrow is go to Prisma and ask for like three things. I want I need a new jacket because mine is kind of too big for me. So I need like a kid's jacket because I'm quite small. Mm. Uh, that doesn't have a chance, any chance almost, going into the wheels at high speeds. Because if it goes into one of the wheels, one of the sides... It's going to lock up one of your wheels. It's going to lock up my wheel. And then, over. and then it will be powered out. And then I was... Definitely going to invest in a helmet for, with the sole being of one day I know someone, somewhere, somehow will not be so pleased to have a wheelchair experience yeah. on the road. Whether it's behind the car, in front of the car, side of the car. Well, a woman actually almost hit me, but it wasn't my fault. She just didn't see me, but she, luckily she stopped in time. Uh, and... If if you if you, I'm sure I can have a look around and find different helmets. I mean, I have quite a big head, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm just going to get a kid's helmet and just rock, rock it. Ah, you know, I'm pretty sure we've got some Freya's older helmets. Oh yeah, smaller. then that would be awesome as well. And they're not pink, and they don't have like unicorn. No, I mean the, the more I was thinking about going with bright color because bright colors stand out more to the human eye. So. Yeah. As you know from bicycling, the most common problem with bicyclists is they can't be seen in yeah. blind spots. Obviously, I'm not going to be going, hopefully, fast enough to go into a turning car, but sometimes cars don't see me even when I'm crossing legally on pedestrians. They have a green light. Yeah, they have this thing with um, with cyclists as well, that they, they misjudge people's speed because as a, as a driver looks left and right before they pull out, Yeah. Now, obviously, sometimes people look out and just pull out in front of you anyway and you yeah, just yeah. do a rude hand gesture. Yeah, like that. Yeah. But some people, their eyes will look. Yeah. But because they're not, you're not exactly what they expect. So if I'm not a car yeah, yeah. and you're not a person walking at walking speed, yeah, yeah. their brain just doesn't register you yeah, and then yeah. they pull yeah. out and then they feel really embarrassed because, yeah, it, there was some, uh, was it some fighter pilot talking on a TV show I was watching years ago. Yeah. That they're just the way that they have to look around to be able to take in everything around them. Yeah. Is to because you've got that. It's called a saccade. The difference between when your eye is moving from one side to the other. Yeah. yeah. Your brain makes up everything else. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. you don't actually see everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's. So the reason for me wanting to invest in a bright helmet, similar to what the kid had last night was to be being the reason that eventually when, if someone calls the, the police or 112 in Finland and says, hey, there is a fella in a wheelchair hauling ass on, on the roads, I want the operator to ask, does he have a helmet? And if the answer is yes, then... Um, then it's okay. <laughs> Similar to if a police car ever sees me and I'm hauling ass, 
hopefully legally within the speed limit but I can't promise and his partner goes are we going to really pull over a, a person in a wheelchair <laughs> uh, then I want the driver to be like yeah but he has a helmet it's, it's fine you know I mean, a lot so, of the, I mean a lot of the helmet stuff the helmets are pretty lightweight and they do offer some protection but a lot of it is illusory. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, it's teeter, similar to aeroports, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah it's like, say... But so, obviously, you still... I mean, for a wheelchair, for me, if I fall backwards, I do need a helmet. Well, so. a hel helmet's great for those sort of falls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, low-speed falls. Like, yeah. If I'm just on my bike and I fall, yeah. or you're falling out of the wheelchair, it's great for that. Yeah, with the wheelchair. I don't fall out of the wheelchair. Yeah, I, I, the wheelchair. <laughs> yeah. I hope it doesn't come out of the wheelchair. But, yeah. But, but like... <laughs> When people have been severely hurt, it might being hit by a car. Yeah, yeah. Helmet makes next to no difference when a car hits you at 50 kilometres an hour. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I trust me. If but I, the police yeah. and insurance companies both look at that and go, well, he wasn't wearing a helmet. He was hit by a bus at 50 <laughs> kilometres an hour. He's a fine paste on the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, mean, but he doesn't have a helmet on. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want, I want the helmet just so that drivers can see me. And also, I don't know exactly, I was going to research the laws in Finland to this this evening, if I have the energy after the second swimming practice, uh, to see if if I would qualify as a, as a bicyclist. Because technically, if I move at the same speed as a bicyclist, and they have the authority or the right to be on roads, on some roads... I think on, on roads, I'm going to... British laws, like there's no minimum speed limit on most of the roads. Yeah. Unless you're on like a dual carriageway motorway where there is a minimum speed limit. Yeah, yeah. But on most roads, there isn't a minimum speed limit. And if you're a vehicle yeah. on the road, yeah. So whether you're somebody on a horse, horses yeah. generally people are walking quite slowly on horses. Yeah, yeah. True. And so I, I have to be honest, I've never seen a horse in the middle of a street in Finland, but I know. Probably if I have gone north, I would see a reindeer in the middle of the road, and and, yeah. uh, and those you have to respect, especially in Auckland. So. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen like a moose here over here? In in Tampere? I've seen one in Tampere. I have never. Yeah. No, no. I have I've seen rabbits or yannis. Oh, yeah, before. we see those all of the time. They're but they're, they're like as big as my... Half of my up to my knees. Yeah, they're sometimes. almost the size of the dog. And I, yeah, and I, I always, get, I always wonder how how are they getting so fat? You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling to yeah. maintain my weight, and these um, <laughs> rabbits. But I got to see this. Excuse me. It was a, it was a female moose in the forest in Kalpi. I've okay. just been out running, so it, it's within Tampere, and it's obviously this forest. Did you report it to the the? The one one two centre or no? No. Okay. I just sort of because the thing was I kind of stopped at the top of like a a, clutter, a hill. Yeah. And I just looked to my left and there's this hierophy there okay. looking at me and it's about twenty twenty five meters away. Yeah. And obviously my memory says we have this moment for about thirty seconds, probably three, but so there's three seconds where we just looked at each other and then it galloped off into the forest. Yeah. And within about 10 metres, was gone. Yeah. I saw some mountain bikers coming the other way. And I went, oh, did you see the, the, the moose? No. Yeah. And I was like, it must have been so close to them, and they just didn't see. Wow. Okay. It, it was really interesting. <laughs> yeah. That's all one. I, I, I don't have much finished wildlife encounters, and I hope to hopefully stay this way. So. Um, yeah. Well, around here, you see, see the deer 
quite often here. Okay. Yeah. Lots of squirrels. We um, do live in kind of nowhere, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, right next to the motorway. Yeah, I mean, yeah, still, yeah, out of. It's good for dog walking. It's definitely good for dog walking because you have no cars. Here, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's it's really interesting. Like, like early mornings or it's like dusk time when you see the deer just walk across the road. Yeah, and. Yeah, I, the only other time I saw deer in, in England was in Richmond Park. Yeah, I'm hoping, so back to what my hope uh, for tomorrow, after I acquire a helmet, maybe also for the winter, get elbow pads, because when I fall in the winter, it's always sideways onto my elbow, and it's always, my luck is always on top of ice, so. Um, I'll show you the type, the company called G-Form, yeah. that they fit quite close underneath your clothes, and they're very yeah. flexible. Okay. And I use those when I'm on the BMX bike, yeah, nice. like for my knees and shins. Yeah. And I've got another soft pair for my elbows, which I don't really use very often. And then I was going to get some kind of, um, uh, with the helmet, I have. I was going to use my sports goggles mm. for for um, for basketball. I was going to use those instead of normal, uh, instead of these normal spectacles. And then on top of that... I was going to use like a, kind of like a face covering, like a face mask. Like, not a face mask, but like a face covering. And I told my friend about this idea this morning. And he said, you know, there's going to be like a person watching a camera one day. And all summer long, on the same road, you see this this person in a wheelchair. Oh, he called me a cripple, but I can't say it on a podcast. So, <laughs> uh, so this, this person in a wheelchair... Um, and he's going to see the same person twice a day, maybe even three times a day, depending on the day and how much energy you can spend in a, in a swimming pool, all 170 days straight, right? And then all of a sudden, one day, he's going to see a bright helmet, a face covering, and a sports goggles and you hauling ass in the middle of the, the street or the side street or whatever. I think that's one of the harbingers of the apocalypse, isn't it? Yeah. Seeing you sort of in full tactical gear. Yeah. And he's, he's going to see you. He's going to recognise the wheelchair. He's going to recognise your boots. He's going to recognise the messed up red arm. And then he's going to be like, yeah, but I don't recognise this guy. He has a, he has a helmet and a face cover. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then that's, he, he says, you, as a mathematician, do you think his, his algorithm, in, whether it's on the facial recognition or his human algorithm, is going to be like, yeah, sorry, kaput, no more. <laughs> Just uh, don't know this guy anymore. I've seen him, seen his face, I've seen uh, beautiful haircuts, uh, handsome haircuts, and... Everything, uh, well, yeah, I am a little bit jealous of your hairline, I so, have to say. But yeah, so I was, I was like, yeah, you have a good point, but at least he's going to see me hauling ass. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then I was wondering, like, in in the future, if, if someone does start to pull or ever pulls me over and asks me what I'm doing or or whatever, I will, I always have three options. Option one is obviously say, you know, hi, I'm I'm in a bit of a rush and it's much safer or faster for me to go on the roads because of the smoothness rather than the sidewalks where there's crevices and unevenness, I could fall more. Mm. And and that was option one. So just gently explain the situation and say I'm in a hurry and then just roll off and hope hope that it's downhill and not uphill <laughs> so I can make a great escape. Right? <laughs> and then option two is speech telas postvenska 
because in Finland, police officers have to give the same service to a Swedish-speaking Finn as they would to a Finnish-speaking Finn. So what happens is if you, from antidotes that I've heard, if you if you speak Swedish to them, I haven't had this experience, but I hope to have it in the future. If you speak Swedish to them, they are hesitant to speak Swedish back to you, and they just say, okay, fuck off. And then just, <laughs> and then just they don't want to let speak Swedish to you, so they just let you go immediately. And luckily for me, according to the Reisterregister, my mother language, I didn't care, which is obviously not, but my mother language is Norsk Bokmal, so Norwegian the official language of Norway, but there's, in Norway there's two languages, uh, Bukmal and Nunosk. Um, I do speak both, but... I didn't know this. But, yeah, so... I know you, you, you're very good with your languages and stuff, I had no idea there was no yeah, different languages in Norway. Yeah, and one of them is, like, the book, Fini- the book uh, Norwegian and the other is more... Like, spoken Norwegian? Nah, not no. really, it's, like, it's a... It's different. It's more like dialects, I guess, but uh, I don't want I don't want to say like actual I don't know what it is in English, but it's like a second language apparently. Uh, okay. Um and you can of course if you speak one you can speak the other vice versa, from my understanding. Um but you still have to kids in Norway still have to learn Ninosk in school. So okay. it does have does have different um differences yeah there's a good English like that different differences alright we've managed to go way off topic now yeah that's cool alright so so we've got uh, almost at an hour now so what we'll do we'll, we'll wrap up just by saying that so in future episodes yeah I'll try and stick with one sort of broad subject whether it's psychology uh, biomechanics physics or like physiology and then, or psychology. Did I mention psychology? Probably. You did. <laughs> and then the idea would be to then, in in time, get an expert, maybe somebody that we know, or even just somebody that's funny that we think is funny, like, and then also to talk a little bit more about parasport, but it's not specifically a parasport right, right. thing. Yeah, but because I've always had an interest in para sports. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I have for a long time, not always. Yeah, well, but you did, you did coach. You know, yeah, so I've coached, coached a couple of people with different sort of disabilities, and and it's, I mean, it was funny hearing you using some of the oh, it was funny earlier with some of the the language that you would use that. Yeah, I've, I've heard some quite fruity language from people with different types of disabilities, either talking to each other or yeah. talking to somebody else. Yeah. The sort of stuff that's very non-PC. And yeah, I, it's very I, difficult. And you, I was very shocked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have to really know the audience or whom you're speaking with. Obviously, you need to... As a, you know, as a disabled person or whatever, I don't see myself disabled. I no. see the wheelchair, obviously, and, and I look at stairs and go, well, I would have fun going down them, but surely not up. And, um, and um, you know, at swimming pools, when kids especially ask how I swim and stuff, it's, for me, at first, when I first started swimming, it was very uh, difficult. But then... After a certain period, when uh, when uh, I complained to a friend and I asked for what he thought about it and whatever, 
uh, I came to terms much later with myself that the best I can do is grind swimming to the maximum, become really good, and when they do stare, whether it's in the showers, in the sauna, in the swimming pool, uh, I want to look my best, or the best I could look mm. anywhere. Today, in my mind, and I quote myself here, so they have something to stare at. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, I guess that's the way accepting works in, in, in reality. It's, you have to accept it. You can't change the colour of your skin. Yeah. You can't There's all these things world. you can't change. And, exactly. And basically, I think, in many different areas of people's lives, they just have to spend more time around people that are different to them. Yeah. Whether it's being around somebody of a different sexuality, race, nationality, or like, ability as well. The more time you spend spend around people, you find out that we're all pretty close to the yeah, same. Yeah, I think so too. It's not, uh, you know, it's not that difficult. And a lot of times, um, most of the time, most of the attention that you think you are getting or someone is caring about you, it's very minuscule or yeah. non-existent. Yeah, we're all exaggerated inside our heads. Definitely. And um, for for anyone out there, like if you, whatever you have, people forget about it instantly as soon as they leave the store and or wherever you are. Um, but I want to... Yeah. Someone's here, probably. Uh, I want to um, obviously now get to a level where I'm recognised more than you know disability. But uh, well, it would be also kind of cool if so. You were recognised within Finland as a as a Finnish athlete as well. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, a person Leo Pekatahti, who uh, is the world's fastest person oh, no, for wheelchair um, track. Yeah. Uh, also my teammate, Sada. Which distance does he do? Uh, uh, 100 metres, I think. <sighs> That's so, brutal in a wheelchair. So my, my goal is to... Because he... Voila, what is this? He, he has conquered the land. I want to for conquer the water for Finland, you know? I want to be well, more... Well, if he's that good on, on the, the wheelchair, yeah. you get him in the swimming... Do triathlon. Yeah, I mean, that's maybe not going to be possible, but it's, <laughs> you know, we'll oh, see. No, I, I, quite like, I quite like the technology. Sort of the, the hand bicycles have come so far in like the last 10, 15 years for sort of position, the ergonomics, and even the aerodynamics on like wheelchair, like wheelchair racing and hand cycles. The, the tech on those is just pretty cool these days. But have you seen, uh, I'm assuming you have, but have you seen para athletes doing triathlons? And yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's so, that's so cool. Yeah, I was around for uh, there was the twenty twelve Olympics. Okay. In London, and there was a big push, and it was part of my coaching qualification stuff. When you're talking about para triathletes. Okay. That obviously, depending on different disabilities, pe- keeping people warm in open water. How much assistance do they need in the transitions? And yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because depending on what classification you are, you can have extra assistance. It's like, oh, oh, what's her name again? I've forgotten her name. The Finnish girl, that I, Finnish girl, Finnish woman that I see who does para triathlon and quite is quite good. But weirdly, for the cycle leg, she can't use her prosthetic. That she has to cycle with one leg. And, oh wow! Uh, okay. But she can use obviously use a prosthetic for when she's doing the run, which I always find a little bit. 
weird actually, but then them's the rules. So probably just depends on classifications I would have to learn. Yeah. Right. I think we're gonna gonna wrap up. I'm gonna go and take the dog for a walk and we'll say goodbye to everybody. Uh, goodbye. Thank goodbye to everybody. Listening. We love you. We don't. <laughs> All right. See you next time.